Hello, and welcome to Be an Instructional Design Rockstar with Blair Stamper. This month, we have Sam Gist, who is joining us on the podcast. And Sam is a really unique instructional designer. He is an instructional designer at the University of North Carolina at Charlotte. And what's unique about him is he actually holds a master's degree in communication studies. And so he's really focused on thinking and exploring and the intersections of design thinking, technology, experience, and communication, uh, and how all of that relates to effective educational practices. So he's a really great problem solver, somebody who is always trying to be innovative and really um, challenge what is being said and how we can actually create online courses. So let's jump into the interview and I hope you enjoy. Um, so Sam, I just want to thank you so much for um, being on the pa- podcast today. Um, so I like to just kind of start off with that normal first interview question of just tell me a little bit about yourself. Yeah, I am Sam Guest. I'm an instructional designer. I've been in this field for about 10 years now, and it's been pretty awesome. I like about me, though, I am um, at this point in my life, I'm really boring. I'm married. I have two kids. I spend a lot of time reading. I'm a pretty voracious reader. Um, a lot of fun playing music, big interest in music, big vinyl collector. And I actually have a lot of personal interest in like design thinking and stuff, which dovetails really nicely with instructional design. And so uh, I'm actually like you, I am one of two remote employees that works um, away from University of North Carolina, Charlotte. I'm in Texas. Um, but thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. And we're going to get into more of the things that you're reading, but um, I'm excited yeah, to yeah. about that. <laughs> for sure, for sure. Um, so tell me a little bit about your academic and scholarly background. Yeah, that's, that's, that's good. So I... Um, Actually, like when I was in high school and stuff, I was a wildly mediocre student, but I really started falling in love with academia as I got into college. And when I first started, I I really didn't know what I wanted to do. Um, So I was kind of looking into different disciplines and fields. I discovered communication studies, which is kind of, uh, I'd say it's a field for high functioning generalists and perfect for somebody who's not quite sure what to get into. But um, Communication studies looks differently at different uh, at different schools in different departments, different colleges. But um, it was a very wide ranging uh, kind of field where we learned everything from technical writing, rhetoric, advocacy, um, various degrees of professionalization, rhetoric in, in digital mediums. They had uh, angles that were like performance studies or interpersonal studies, right? Like learning how. Um, you know, for instance, people work in organizations, businesses, schools, that kind of thing. And so uh, I did that for my undergrad. I, uh, my wife and I got pregnant with my son. And so I was out of school for a little bit. But right when the recession was hitting really bad back in 2009, I decided that was a fantastic time to go back and get my master's degree. So I went back to communication studies with more of a specified um, or funneled interest in doing like rhetoric and digital mediums around that same time I started getting interested in like design thinking and those types of things so I I funneled that in and and some elements of philosophy and stuff and so I bundled that into my own kind of um you know customized uh uh, academic pathway 
That's so interesting. I didn't know your background was in um, communication. So I loved is, yeah. hearing about that. So sure. did you do anything prior career-wise prior to being an instructional designer? Oh, sure. Like how far back do you want me to go? I can start at like 15 when I was scrubbing grease off the floor at a coffee shop or <laughs> um, <laughs> you want me to stay relevant within like the like ID work? Like you want me to start there? Uh, after college. So after your undergrad. Okay. Yeah. So like my first big boy job was probably like, um, I was a project manager for a media company called Crystal Clear Media. So they, they had their hands on a lot of things, but the areas I was in was kind of CD, DVD and vinyl replication at a plant. So I would manage projects from like start to finish. We worked with record companies and everything. And they would, you know, if you ever went to like a Best Buy and wondered like, where did the CD come from? Like it may be, from someone like me who helps like you know get the artwork set and you know have the actual media or disc replicated and stuff um and so it started with that worked in college administrative work for a while so i worked for actually the the police at um university of north texas along with uh, a philosophy department then um that's when i started cutting my teeth on um id work so that was I was coming to the end of my graduate career. One of my major professors had left academia to work for a corporate online program manager. And uh, she had me in mind. She knew that some of my interests and research stuff that dovetailed with instructional design, although I wasn't intimately familiar with what it was yet. So, um, but I, I guess I impressed them enough to come on and start as a instructional designer. So I partnered with instructors from all over the United States at public universities to help them build up their online programs like from scratch and and so that's how that's how I got started. That's awesome being able to see so many different perspectives from so many different areas of working with IDs. For sure yeah that that was it was very educational Um, and it's interesting too because even though you work with so many people in so many different schools there, there are a lot of similar uh, problems or strengths that they may have depending you know every every school every department um, every college that you work with had a very distinctive personality and culture but also too it was really educational for me to see how some of their systems worked like they had us coming in as instructional designers but they may have an instructional design team and so getting to see how that structure happened um, I'm really into like systems kind of thinking and so, so that was really fascinating to me like how are the nuts and bolts and like, why are we here to help with this when they have a, a team of people that are, that's already there? And so um, I guess I don't want to go off topic too much, but I ended up coming back to, as much as I enjoyed the work there, I really felt like um, almost like an ethical imperative, like this type of work should be happening organically within the universities themselves. Um, and, so, and because a lot of time we were coming in because of, dysfunction and not that it was predatory or anything but it just was like out of necessity because it it, but I really wanted to be kind of on the front lines of that at um, a university so after a while of doing that actually shifted gears and went back to my alma mater to work as an instructional designer there after I worked at that corporate OPM. I was going to ask how the dynamic was of being kind of that corporate ID that's coming into a university and having yeah. to work with IDs that are already there. Um, it wasn't great. Like, like there was very much kind of a hostility 
kind of like a West Side Story, sharks and jets, kind of right, and they, they kind of see you as the man coming in, and and honestly, I I was empathetic towards that perspective because a lot of times it wasn't because you had a team of ideas that was that were underskilled or they weren't working really hard to do something awesome. Um, it had to do more with the, like the systematic dynamics of the way that things were working, and so they felt like maybe the, the university that they were for throwing the towel in on them and were bringing in people from the outside. So like, I, I was very empathetic towards if we did get any static or hostility, I was like, I, I mean, I get it. Um, and th the best thing you can do in those situations is kind of really present yourself for more of a partnership. Like I'm not here to take over what you're doing. I'm here, I'm here to work alongside of you. Um, and actually I learned a lot from those people as well that I worked with in IDs. Yeah. Yeah, that leads well into this next question of so how have you used like your communication studies, project management, and also that partnership between IDs outside of the university and with the university into your work now? Oh, it all adds up. Um, you know, I think in a career trajectory, people tend to think of these things in like silos. Like I was this, right? Especially if they've shifted, made big shifts in their careers from one thing to another. And most adults do statistically do that. Um, I think it'd be a shame to think that those things are not really intimately interconnected in a lot of ways and that we don't draw on all those skills. I mean, <laughs> even going back to, like I said, some of those nickel and dime jobs I had growing up, you're starting to learn, you're starting to get a bedrock of like professionalization. I need to show up on time. I need to dress appropriately. This is how we talk to people, right? All the way up to more advanced. I'm, I am managing a team of people or I am um, involved in a two year massive project that requires a lot of attention to detail. All that adds up. Like even going back to my, my first project management job, I'm like, oh, I'm learning the fundamentals. We have to, we have, to have a thing. We have to have an outcome, set milestones. Um, have connective tissue in between those milestones. I got to know what my resources are. Who's the players in the game, right? All that type of stuff. And so as we, as you and I both know, like that's, we do a lot of this, especially as we're managing course projects, same principles, uh, but the wallpaper kind of changes and the people involved change. Okay. So what is your greatest success in the field so far? Oh, wow. That's a, that's a really good question. Um, so I've had a lot of successes. I've had a lot of big picture things that I'm really proud of, whether that was um, managing entire programs to completion or when I was kind of in a, a little bit of a different role as like an associate director managing IDs, um, some of the systematic changes I, I, I think I helped implement that I felt were very impactful. Like these days, I think a, a huge shift, a paradigm shift in perspective for me, and like we were just kind of talking about this a little bit earlier, is noticing small but impactful changes, or rather small but impactful um, successes that you have like on a day-to-day -day basis that add up into bigger things. I think idealistically, we always want to put out like as an idea, we want to put out an amazing course, right? It hits all the notes. It goes above and beyond. We don't always have the opportunity to do that, but we do, for instance, have the opportunity to um, help explain online pedagogy to an instructor that's actually gonna carry on and have significant impact for their students even after this process ends. And so 
I think I've had, I've had to shift my thinking in terms of like, this is what success means to, you know, it's in the everyday, like, like as a parent, right. Um, we know that we can make these big uh, kind of gestures towards our children or our romantic partners that say, you know, I, I'm here, I love you. But a lot of that um, good juju that you have in that type of relationship is built over just those small, meaningful things every day, spending time, giving people your attention, um, having empathy and wanting to uh, relate to them in a way that's meaningful to them, right? And so I would say, yeah, I would say that that's more that's more of the uh, the the angle or the lens that I'm looking through these days. I love that. That's such good advice. Um, I I too sometimes struggle because I, I want to I want to celebrate when I get to that end point and not those little miniature things that are getting me there. So that that's awesome. Absolutely. Um, yeah. So on the flip side, what is your greatest challenge in the field? Gosh. Uh, that's a good question too. Um, there's a lot. So like, again, that's something I've had to shift perspectives on a little bit in terms of thinking about like in design thinking they have, they, they have what they call gravity problems. Like you can't, you can't change the problem of gravity, right? It's unsolvable, but then there are challenges. And as people who come from design fields, like we like those types of challenges. And so, um, I'm trying to learn to embrace those things that even seem impossible to change by just kind of reframing them, right? I would say a really common challenge that is not unique to like us or where we work or, uh, but is, is common to instructional designers in higher ed is working with um, faculty members. And that's not because faculty members are bad or intentionally difficult people. It's just that it's kind of a culture sometimes that, that you, you work with. They're used to being highly autonomous um, and, and not necessarily uh, in, in kind of a team environment, arguably, right? Because they're, they're on, a, on a team, quote unquote, with, with other faculty members. But um, it, I think it's difficult for them to see themselves working in a partnership um, in ways that are not as common, for instance, in the, the, the corporate, like private sector. Like I have friends who work in um, like corporate IDs and they're really taken aback sometimes by the idea that it may be a non-starter that you have a non-willing participant because their SME may be embedded within the company that they work for. So they're already on to, like there's two people understanding they need to get a job done. Or even if they bring in an outside consultant, right? Like there's this idea that, um, they're, they're working towards a common goal immediately. And so I think one of the biggest challenges we have in working with faculty is we're not exactly sure where their heads at, what, what their intrinsic motivations are, um, what they want to accomplish with that. If they bought into this idea that online learning is even um, viable, right? Like, they, like I think there's, statistically this is true. I think I was reading in Inside Higher Ed, something as high as 70% of, faculty still consider online learning to be like the handmaiden of real learning that takes place in a face-to-face classroom, right? And maybe those numbers will change over time as we have more kind of digital native people come in into, um, in, into the teaching profession. But so we have, we've got, I think sometimes a lot of chips stacked against us before we <laughs> even start like a, a project. But 
um, I think it makes for a lot more interesting work because going back to what we were saying earlier, we're challenged with a lot of problems. And here too, when we have a more open-ended right development process, um, we get a lot of things put on our plate that I normally wouldn't have working in a very rigid development process where everything is kind of defined for you ahead of, and you're basically taking information and putting it in like a preset template. I have to re, I have to really rethink a lot because the faculty member will say, well, I don't want to do it this way, or I have these other things that doesn't fit into this mold that you have, right? So then you're thinking, well, this is an interesting problem to solve, right? Um, that's great. A lot, sometimes it can be very overwhelming if you have a lot of faculty or courses like that, but I think it keeps things interesting for sure like i've become a better instructional designer being challenged in that way um out of necessity right because you have to yeah those are all really great points and i will definitely be interested to see how online learning continues to be redefined as we not get over the pandemic but as it starts to shift and people have used synchronous learning for so long during this pandemic, how is that now going to be integrated into online learning? So it'll be interesting to see the shifts of what opinions of online learning are. For sure, like you, like you wrote a great article about emergency remote teaching versus actual online learning, right? And like you've talked about in the student podcast, all fantastic points. I think that they also present, it's a unique starting point because it forced a lot of people that never would have utilized those technologies, never would have thought about how to translate some of that stuff in an online setting. It's not a perfect starting point. It doesn't equate to quote unquote, like quality online learning per se, but also it's a good start because it kind of pushed people into the deep end maybe. Um, and if they have good guidance and like people like us, right, to help them through that then and there's more adherence to that. Absolutely. So before you jumped into instructional design, what is something that you wish you would have known? Oh, wow, that's a, that's a good question. Um, something I wish I would have known. I, okay, I would say this, like when I first started in instructional design, um, I wasn't formally educated in instructional design, like they, they do with like an official program. Um, I kind of learned on the ground and by doing like a lot of reading and research myself, a lot of the, the things that were available to me and also a lot of what I hear people who are formally educated in instructional design talk about is that you're, you're kind of inundated with models, technologies, um, there's a lot, there's, there's a big emphasis on this idea of like the theory that goes behind it, right? Um, and ed tech and like all that and what it means. And all those things are good and they're, they're crucial for our starting point, right? Nobody mentioned that I think what is probably even more, almost more important than those two things is like soft skill application because you're always working with people it is a collaborative job where you're working with people all types of people you're getting people that you you don't have control over so like you know being in college and you're working in a group project and maybe you get two people that are um underskilled or not willing to participate like i had to i had to really learn over a period of years how how do i read people how do i understand their motivations how do i not just get them to do work, but learn to empathize with them 
and where they're coming from. How do I learn to actually actively listen to somebody? Like I, you know, rookie mistake, like the first three years as an instructional designer, I have somebody come in, we'd sit down and I just jump into work immediately. I was like, here's here, right. No relation building, no building rapport, no building trust, no, like no picking their brain and what they want to develop and what motivates them, what they're passionate about. So um, learning how to have productive conflict, uh, learning how to listen to people and put your viewpoint aside to get your, yourself inside their shoes, and also learning how to wrangle control of a project in a non-aggressive, non-threatening way having like huge skills I've had to learn and that nobody teaches you that stuff. Right. That's, um, I would love to see a, like a human psychology or behavioral, uh, behavioral study kind of component in it into the field when we're teaching people how to do this. Cause whether you're in corporate or in higher ed, those are invaluable skills, not just working with your SME, but working with like team members and part, you know, being a part of a larger group. I, thousand percent agree and I'm so glad you said that um I think one interesting thing about job descriptions of IDs too is it's very focused on the hard skills like articulate storyline html working in learning management systems but like it's so much more than that like those are all skills you can learn on the job while you're working having collaboration problem solving um communication like those are things that are so innate to you that I mean, I call myself a therapist a lot of the times because it's so much the collaboration and working with other people is ID work. No, it's so true. And, you know, and I, I, I get that because in the nascent stages of instructional design, I mean, like instructional design goes way back, right? Like you can trace back the origins of instructional design kind of like even into the sixties, but as, as a field, as applied to online learning, right. Um, you know, there was this, I remember there was a very large emphasis on like the tech side of things. And I would, I would say a lot of what, what schools initially hired instructional designers to be were actually instructional technologists. Right. And it was like a lot of questions on how do I use this technology? And I think the shift now has been more, why do I use this technology? Which is more of like an instructional design question. Right. And so you had a lot of like kind of tech head people that were great with like, hey, I can help troubleshoot this with you or tell me exactly what to do and I will push the buttons and like create this thing for you versus like now we have a more established field uh, that is, is, is kind of a, its own independent field of study and um, we have expertise to bring to the table alongside of an instructor, right? And so that, that kind of shift from like, really pragmatic tech applied kind of stuff to more dynamic relationship based um, collaboration building with technology as an accent not the centerpiece that's that's kind of where we're at right yeah uh, thank you for saying that I, I that's like my soapbox right now so I appreciate <laughs> I, I always appreciate somebody else saying it too that it's not yes. just me thinking that no not um, enough each, each. <laughs> Um, okay, so going back to what how you said you're a huge reader, um, because I love stealing other people's books that they're reading. What are you currently reading? I'm not currently reading. Um, so I'm actually reading three things right now. Um, I'm reading a book called Designing Your New Work Life by Bill Burnett and Dave Evans, and that's been an awesome book. So it's two uh, designers, they're both from the design field, 
they came together to form a think tank in, um, I think it's Cambridge actually. So they had this wildly popular course about applying design thinking to life, like to life period, right? And it's very radical. Like typically when we think of design, we're, we're building an artifact or a product or like a thing, right? And this was like the hardest design, um, maybe the hardest design mystery is like somebody's, your, your life and like the way it works. So they, they taught this class. I mean, it just was like gangbusters huge. They, they, they couldn't, you know, um, they couldn't have enough sections of it. So like, so they, they formed this think tank and then they end up conglomerating these principles and writing this book called Designing Your Life, right? Now, this is an amended version of that. So it's meant specifically to apply to work. But if you've ever been in a scenario where like, I don't know, you, you were motivated by one thing in life at one point, like money. And now you're working in this job. It's very high paying. You used to be a workaholic, but you loved it. But you have a partner now and you have children and your priorities have shifted and something feels out of whack where you're working for a place, your values aren't reflected in the place that you work, right? Or um, you just have kind of nickel and dime problems. Like I, my, my boss doesn't give me enough feedback. And I, I switch from job to job to job looking for that perfect thing and I never find it, right? So these are the problems that they're tackling. And if you've ever like stopped and been like, why do, why do I feel like this? Why am I so unsatisfied? Like they do a great job of walking you through this real iterative process of like, what are your values? What do you care about, right? To, like discovering what makes you tick. Um, what are you motivated by, right? Is it money? Is it impact? Is it creativity? Maybe you want all three of those things at once, but you can't have all three of those things. So you have to pick what is more meaningful to you at a perfect job. You're never going to find a perfect job, right? You're just, sometimes things are just good enough until you figure out to move to a thing that's going to make you more happy. So they have a lot of pragmatic exercises in them. I think I talked to you about one earlier, which is a, a work journal in which you chart using the technology of gratefulness or thankfulness to figure out like, oh, I am having impact, you know, I am, um, I am changing the world, even if it's in a very small way in my little corner of it, right? So that's been a fantastic book. I'm actually going to try to present at OLC on that, which dovetails with ID burnout. And then here's designing a work-life exercises that can help kind of reframe those problems you may be having in a way that's meaningful. Um, the other two things I'm reading the design way it's called intentional change in an unpredictable world. I've, this is the second time I've been through the, this book. I love it. It's not for everybody. It goes really deep into like the philosophy of design and like the ontology of design, how we're all designers. So it's very heady. It does get into like the, the understanding of systems of design and how that works. Right. And, but I found it to be really fascinating, particularly I was trying to understand like, asymmetrical power relationships with faculty sometimes and ways to kind of circumvent that or, or to work through it around it. Um, but I would definitely recommend that. And that's written by Nelson and Stolterman. And then um, there's another book called The Design of the Everyday Things by Don Norman. And, and this is a really cool book that looks at the most banal kind of things that you interact with on a day-to-day -day basis. Like a kitchen utensil, right? And most of the time we're just using the kitchen utensil. And this book kind of forces you to think about, well, think about the curvature of the handle and the way that it fits the hand, or if it's a pasta scooper, like the teeth at the end of the handle and the way it was meticulously designed to like 
pick something up, right? Or what is bad design? Most people don't notice design until it fails, right? <laughs> Except we're like, this sucks, right? Um, but we often don't pay attention to what good design is and looks like um, as it works and why it works. So this book really causes you, and I think any good designer would have this, especially us in an ID field, which is to a good characteristic of any designer is like we, we need to pay attention to detail about things that do work. And it's really forced me to think about, again, been all everyday things, but also when I see a good learning object or artifact or book or article or course, it's causing me to kind of break it down into component pieces and like, why does this work well? Or what isn't working well? So it's really helped me sharpen my thinking as far as that goes to both spot and articulate like what's working well with this. And so I find those are pretty interesting. Those are all kind of more generic design thinking books. Um, but I also did start a book. I just started it, Luke Hobson, What I Wish I Knew uh, Before I Was an Instructional Designer. He just wrote this book. Um, I, I literally just started it and it's it's really great so far. Um, I wish I could tell you more about it, but again, I'm I'm like just past like the foreword of the book and into like it. So uh, you can put those in the in the show notes or something. Yes, that's awesome. Um, I love the first book that you were talking about, trying to find like an authentic life that is all in alignment, because that is so important in order to find true happiness and contentment um, in your life. Yes. Absolutely. It's like, it's not about intensity of happiness it's about balance. Like the, the balance is the happiness, right? So like, even if you're not in the most like super money impactful uh, job to boost your ego and you have six pack abs and money falling out of your pockets, like you're, you're, that's not the only thing to worry about, right? Like you have other relationships, family things. So this helps just put it all into kind of a kaleidoscopic perspective of like, here's how it all comes together. So it's been great. Get the book if you get a chance. Awesome. Well, thank you, Sam, uh, for being part of the podcast. I just really appreciate having these conversations. I always have great conversations with you. So I just want to say thank you. Shucks. Thank you. No, thank you for having me on. I appreciate it. Everybody subscribe to Blair's podcast. (laughs) Some of the key takeaways that Sam talked about in the interview that I thought were really awesome were um, the fact that he wasn't formally trained in instructional design. And like we talked about, I think there's this misconception that in order to be a successful instructional designer, you have to actually go through and get a certificate or get a master's degree or something in specifically instructional design. And he spoke to how it's not so much the hard skills that you're going to learn, the models that you're going to learn, the different um, technology that you're going to learn. It's more so the soft skills of things, how you actually work with other people, how you collaborate, how you empathize with other people, how you actually motivate others to get the work done. And I think that's something that's really missing or some things that uh, people who are coming into the instructional design field don't really notice. And the other thing was this piece of technology and this idea of how instructional designers aren't just using technology for the sake of using technology. They're not thinking about how am I going to fit this technology in. Instead, we're really reflecting on why am I using this technology? How is this going to enhance the learning and help students actually understand the content that they're trying to learn in a way that isn't just cool and isn't just fun. It's actually engaging them and allowing them to actually take it to the next step. I hope you enjoyed this interview as much as I did, and I will see you next time.
Thanks for tuning in to Be an Instructional Design Rockstar with Blair Stamper. I hope you enjoyed getting to hear someone else's perspective in the online learning field. Hopefully their stories were enough to inspire you and show you that you're not alone as you're going through the process of creating a course, teaching a course, or even just learning as a student in an online course. Thanks for tuning in and I'll see you next time.